Welcome to Lost in the Woods Fairy Tales. I'm your host, Autumn Woods, and I'm so excited you're here. We've come to the last episode of the Lost Husband stories, but I'll be back in the fall with season four, which is called Rise Above This. Think of it as Lost and Found Revisited. In it, we'll be covering stories of women who seem to be swallowed up by life, unable to rescue themselves from circumstances beyond their control until they learn from their mistakes and find the courage to rise above the past, seizing new life with both hands. If you've been wondering why I've waited to cover Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel, or Snow White, here's your chance to find out. For now, we conclude our three-part episode arc of Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. Last time, we traveled with Gerda as she began her quest to save Kai only to find out that she needed to rescue herself first. After conquering her insecurities about purpose and identity, and allowing the beauty of friendship to sweep away the ashes of abuse, Gerda is ready to press on toward her goal. So, let's get lost, as we read the conclusion of... The Snow Queen, A Tale in Seven Stories Fifth Story The Little Robber Girl The carriage rolled on into a dark forest. Like a blazing torch, it shone in the eyes of some robbers. They could not bear it. That's gold! That's gold! They cried. They sprang forward, seized the horses, killed the postilions, the coachman, and the footman, and dragged little Gerda out of the carriage. How plump and tender she looks! Just as if she's been fattened on nuts, cried the old robber woman, who had a long, bristly beard and long eyebrows that hung down over her eyes. She looks like a little fat lamb. What a dainty dish she will be. As she said this, she drew out her knife, a dreadful, flashing thing. Ouch! the old woman howled. At just that moment, her own little daughter had bitten her ear. The little girl, whom she carried on her back, was a wild, reckless creature. You beastly brat! her mother exclaimed, but it kept her from using that knife on Gerda. She shall play with me, said the little robber girl. She must give me her muff and that pretty dress she wears, and sleep with me in my bed. And she again gave her mother such a bite that the woman hopped and whirled around in pain. All the robbers laughed and shouted, (laughs) See how she dances with her brat. I want to ride in the carriage, the little robber girl said. And ride she did, for she was too spoiled and headstrong for words. She and Gerda climbed into the carriage and away they drove, over stumps and stones, into the depths of the forest. The little robber girl was no taller than Gerda, but she was stronger and much broader in the shoulders. Her skin was brown and her eyes coal black, almost sad in their expression. She put her arms around Gerda and said, They shan't kill you unless I get angry with you. I think you must be a princess. No, I'm not, said little Gerda. And she told about all that had happened to her and how much she cared for little Kai. The robber girl looked at her gravely, gave a little nod of approval, and told her, Even if I should get angry with you, they shan't kill you, because I'll do it myself. Then she dried Gerda's eyes 
and stuck her own hands into Gerda's soft, warm muff. The carriage stopped at last in the courtyard of a robber's castle. The walls of it were cracked from bottom to top. Crows and ravens flew out of every loophole, and bulldogs huge enough to devour a man jumped high in the air. But they did not bark, for that was forbidden. In the middle of the stone-paved, smoky old hall, a big fire was burning. The smoke of it drifted up to the ceiling, where it had to find its own way out. Soup was boiling in a big cauldron, and hares and rabbits were roasting on the spit. Tonight, you shall sleep with me and all my little animals, the robber girl said. After they had something to eat and drink, they went over to a corner that was strewn with rugs and straw. On sticks and perches around the bedding roosted nearly a hundred pigeons. They seemed to be asleep, but they just stirred a little when the two little girls came near them. They're all mine, said the little robber girl. She seized the one that was nearest to her, held it by the legs, and shook it until it flapped its wings. Kiss it, she cried, and thrust the bird in Gerda's face. Those two are the wild rascals, she said, pointing high up the wall to a hole barred with wooden sticks. Rascals of the woods they are, and they would fly away in a minute if they were not locked up. And here is my old sweetheart, Bay, she said, pulling at the horns of a reindeer that was tethered by a shiny copper ring around his neck. We have to keep a sharp eye on him, or he would run away from us too. Every single night, I tickle his neck with my knife blade, for he is afraid of that. From a hole in the wall, she pulled a long knife and rubbed it against the reindeer's neck. After the poor animal had kicked up its heels, the robber girl laughed and pulled Gerda down into the bed with her. Are you going to keep that knife in bed with you? Gerda asked and looked at it a little frightened. I always sleep with my knife, the little robber girl said. You never can tell what may happen. But let's hear again what you told me before, about little Kai, and about why you are wandering through the wide world. Gerda told the story all over again, while the wild pigeons cooed in their cage overhead, and the tame pigeons slept. The little robber girl clasped one arm around Gerda's neck, gripped her knife in the other hand, fell asleep, and snored so that one could hear her. But Gerda could not close her eyes at all. She did not know whether she was to live or whether she was to die. The robbers sat around their fire, singing and drinking, and the old robber woman was turning somersaults. It was a terrible sight for a little girl to see. Then the wood pigeon said, Coo, coo, we have seen little Kai. A white hen was carrying his sled, and Kai sat in the Snow Queen's sleigh. They swooped low over the trees where we lay in our nest. The Snow Queen blew upon us, and all the young pigeons died except us. Coo, coo. What is that you are saying up there? cried Gerda. Where was the Snow Queen going? Do you know anything about it? She was probably bound for Lapland, where they always have snow and ice. Why don't you ask the reindeer who is tethered beside you? Yes, there is ice and snow in that glorious land, the reindeer told her. You can prance about freely across those great glittering fields. The Snow Queen has her summer tent there, but her stronghold is a castle up nearer the North Pole, on the island called Spitsbergen. Oh, Kai, little Kai, Gerda sighed. Lie still, 
said the robber girl, or I'll stick my knife in your stomach. In the morning, Gerda told her all that the wood pigeons had said. The little robber girl looked quite thoughtful. She nodded her head and exclaimed, Leave it to me, leave it to me. Do you know where Lapland is? She asked the reindeer. Who knows it better than I? The reindeer said, and his eyes sparkled. There I was born, there I was bred, and there I kicked my heels in freedom across the fields of snow. Listen, the robber girl said to Gerda. As you see, all the men are away. Mother is still here, and here she'll stay. But before the morning is over, she will drink out of that big bottle, and then she usually dozes off for a nap. As soon as that happens, I will do you a good turn. She jumped out of bed, rushed over, and threw her arms around her mother's neck, pulled at her beard bristles, and said, Good morning, my dear nanny goat. Her mother thumped her nose until it was red and blue, but all that was done out of pure love. As soon as the mother had tipped up the bottle and dozed off to sleep, the little robber girl ran to the reindeer and said, I have a good notion to keep you here and tickle you with my sharp knife. You are so funny when I do. But never mind that. I'll untie your rope and help you find your way outside so that you can run back to Lapland. But you must put your best leg forward and carry this little girl to the Snow Queen's palace where her playmate is. I suppose you heard what she told me, for she spoke so loud and you were eavesdropping. The reindeer was so happy that he bounded into the air. The robber girl hoisted little Gerda on his back, carefully tied her in place, and even gave her a little pillow to sit on. I don't do things halfway, she said. Here, take back your fur boots, for it's going to be bitter cold. I'll keep your muff, because it's such a pretty one. But your fingers mustn't get cold. Here are my mother's big mittens, which will come right up to your elbows. Pull them on. (laughs) Now your hands look just like my ugly mother's big paws. And Gerda shed happy tears. I don't care to see you blubbering, said the little robber girl. You ought to look pleased now. Here, take these two loaves of bread and this ham along, so that you won't starve. When these provisions were tied on the back of the reindeer, the little robber girl opened the door and called in all the big dogs. Then she cut the tether with her knife and said to the reindeer, Now run, but see that you take care of that little girl. Gerda waved her big mittens to the little robber girl and said goodbye. Then the reindeer bounded away, over stumps and stones, straight through the great forest, over swamps and across the plains as fast as he could run. The wolves howled, the ravens shrieked, and kershoo, kershoo! The red streaks of light ripped through the heavens with a noise that sounded like sneezing. Those are my old northern lights, said the reindeer. See how they flash. And on he ran, faster than ever by night and day. The loaves were eaten, and the whole ham was eaten, and there they were in Lapland. The Sixth Story The Lap Woman and the Thin Woman They stopped in front of the little hut, and a makeshift dwelling it was. The roof of it almost touched the ground, and the doorway was so low that the family had to lie on their stomachs to crawl in or out of it. No one was at home except an old lap woman, who was cooking a fish over a whale oil lamp. The reindeer told her Gerda's whole story, but first he told his own, 
which he thought was much more important. Besides, Gerda was so cold that she couldn't say a thing. Oh, you poor creatures, the lap woman said. You've still got such a long way to go. Why, you will have to travel hundreds of miles into the Finnmark, for it's there that the Snow Queen is taking a country vacation and burning her blue fireworks every evening. I'll jot down a message on a dried codfish, for I haven't any paper. I want you to take it to the Finn woman who lives up there. She will be able to tell you more about it than I can. As soon as Gerda had thawed out and had had something to eat and drink, the lap woman wrote a few words on a dried codfish, told Gerda to take good care of it, and tied her again on the back of the reindeer. Off he ran, and all night long the skies crackled and swished as the most beautiful northern lights flashed over their heads. At last, they came to the Finnmark and knocked at the Finn woman's chimney, for she hadn't a sign of a door. It was so hot inside that the Finn woman went about almost naked. She was small and terribly dowdy, but she at once helped little Gerda off with her mittens and boots and loosened her clothes. Otherwise, the heat would have wilted her. Then the woman put a piece of ice on the reindeer's head and read what was written on the codfish. She read it three times, and when she knew it by heart, she put the fish into the kettle of soup, for they might as well eat it. She never wasted anything. The reindeer told her his own story first, and then little Gerda's. The Finn woman winked a knowing eye, but she didn't say anything. You are such a wise woman, said the reindeer. I know that you can tie all the winds of the world together with a bit of cotton thread. If the sailor unties one knot, he gets a favorable wind. If he unties another, he gets a stiff gale. While if he unties the third and fourth knots, such a tempest rages that it flattens the trees in the forest. Won't you give this little girl something to drink that will make her as strong as twelve men so that she may overpower the Snow Queen? Twelve strong men? Pheh! The Finn woman sniffed. Much good that would be. She went to the shelf, took down a big rolled-up skin, and unrolled it. On the skin, strange characters were written, and the Finn woman read them until the sweat rolled down her forehead. The reindeer again begged her to help Gerda, and little Gerda looked at her with such tearful, imploring eyes that the woman began winking again. She took the reindeer aside in a corner, and while she was putting another piece of ice on his head, she whispered to him, Little Kai is indeed with the Snow Queen and everything there suits him just fine. He thinks it is the best place in all the world, but that's because he has a splinter of glass in his heart and a small piece of it in his eye. Unless these can be gotten out, he will never be human again, and the Snow Queen will hold him in her power. But can't you fix little Gerda something to drink which will give her more power than all those things? No power that I could give could be as great as that which she already has. Don't you see how men and beasts are compelled to serve her? And how far she has come in the wide world since she started out in her naked feet? We mustn't tell her about this power. Strength lies in her heart because she is such a sweet, innocent child. 
If she herself cannot reach the Snow Queen and read little Kai of those pieces of glass, then there's no help we can give her. The Snow Queen's garden lies about eight miles from here. You may carry the little girl there and put her down by the big bush covered with red berries that grows on the snow. Then, don't you stand there gossiping, but hurry to get back here. The thin woman lifted little Gerda onto the reindeer, and he galloped away as fast as he could. Oh, cried Gerda, I forgot my boots, and I forgot my mittens. Soon she felt the need of them in that knife-like cold, but the reindeer did not dare to stop. He galloped on until they came to the big bush that was covered with red berries. Here he set Gerda down and kissed her on the mouth, while big shining tears ran down his face. Then he ran back as fast as he could. Little Gerda stood there without boots and without mittens, right in the middle of icy Finnmark. She ran as fast as she ever could. A whole regiment of snowflakes swirled toward her, but they did not fall from the sky for there was not a cloud up there, and the northern lights were ablaze. The flakes skirmished along the ground, and the nearer they came, the larger they grew. Gerda remembered how large and strange they had appeared when she looked at them under the magnifying glass. But here, they were much more monstrous and terrifying. They were alive. They were the Snow Queen's advance guard, and their shapes were most strange. Some looked like ugly, overgrown porcupines. Some were like a knot of snakes that stuck out their heads in every direction. And others were like fat little bears with every hair a bristle. All of them were glistening white, for all were living snowflakes. It was so cold that as little Gerda said the Lord's Prayer, she could see her breath freezing in front of her mouth like a cloud of smoke. It grew thicker and thicker and took the shape of little angels that grew bigger and bigger the moment they touched the ground. All of them had helmets on their heads, and they carried shields and lances in their hands. Rank upon rank they increased, and when Gerda had finished her prayer, she was surrounded by a legion of angels. They struck the dread snowflakes with their lances and shivered them into a thousand pieces. Little Gerda walked on, unmolested and cheerful. The angels rubbed her hands and feet to make them warmer, and she trotted briskly along to the Snow Queen's palace. But now, let us see how little Kai was getting on. Little Gerda was furthest from his mind, and he hadn't the slightest idea that she was just outside the palace. Seventh Story What Happened in the Snow Queen's Palace and What Came of It The walls of the palace were driven snow. The windows and doors were the knife-edged wind. There were more than a hundred halls, shaped as the snow had drifted, and the largest of these extended many a mile. All were lighted by the flare of the northern lights. All of the halls were so immense and so empty, so brilliant and so glacial. There was never a touch of gaiety in them, never so much as a little dance for the polar bears at which the storm blast could have served for music, and the polar bears could have waddled about on their hind legs to show off their best manners. There was never a little party with such games as Blind Bear's Bluff or Hide the Pockerchief for the cubs, nor even a little afternoon coffee over which the white fox vixens could gossip. Empty, vast, and frigid were the Snow Queen's halls. 
The northern lights flared with such regularity that you could time exactly when they would be at the highest and lowest. In the middle of the vast, empty hall of snow was a frozen lake. It was cracked into a thousand pieces, but each piece was shaped so exactly like the others that it seemed a work of wonderful craftsmanship. The Snow Queen sat in the exact center of it when she was at home, and spoke of this as sitting on her mirror of reason. She said this mirror was the only one of its kind, and the best thing in all the world. Little Kai was blue, yes, almost black with cold, but he did not feel it, because the Snow Queen had kissed away his icy tremblings, and his heart itself had almost turned to ice. He was shifting some sharp, flat pieces of ice to and fro, trying to fit them into every possible pattern, for he wanted to make something with them. It was the Chinese puzzle game that we play at home, juggling little flat pieces of wood about into special designs. Kai was cleverly arranging his pieces in the game of ice-cold reason. To him, the patterns were highly remarkable and of the utmost importance, for the chip of glass in his eye made him see them that way. He arranged his pieces to spell out many words, but he could never find the way to make the one word he was so eager to form. The word was eternity. The Snow Queen had said to him, If you can puzzle that out, you shall be your own master, and I'll give you the whole world and a new pair of skates. But he could not puzzle it out. Now I am going to make a flying trip to the warm countries, the Snow Queen told him. I want to go and take a look into the black cauldrons. She meant the volcanoes Etna and Vesuvius. I must whiten them up a bit. They need it, and it will be such a relief after all those yellow lemons and purple grapes. And away she flew. Kai sat all alone in that endless, empty, frigid hall and puzzled over the pieces of ice until he almost cracked his skull. He sat so stiff and still that one might have thought he was frozen to death. All of a sudden, Little Gerda walked up to the palace through the great gate which was a knife-edged wind. But Gerda said her evening prayer. The wind was lulled to rest, and the little girl came on into the vast, cold, empty hall. Then she saw Kai. She recognized him at once and ran to throw her arms around him. She held him close and cried, Kai, dearest little Kai, I've found you at last! But he sat still and stiff and cold. Gerda shed hot tears, and when they fell upon him, they went straight to his heart. They melted the lump of ice and burned away the splinter of glass in it. He looked up at her, and she sang, Where roses bloom so sweetly in the vale, there shall you find the Christ child without fail. Kai burst into tears. He cried so freely that the little piece of glass in his eye was washed right out. Gerda! He knew her and cried out in his happiness. My sweet little Gerda! Where have you been so long? And where have I been? He looked around him and said, How cold it is here! How enormous and empty! He held fast to Gerda, who laughed until happy tears rolled down her cheeks. Their bliss was so heavenly that even the bits of glass danced about them and shared in their happiness. When the pieces grew tired, 
they dropped into a pattern which made the very word that the Snow Queen had told Kai he must find before he became his own master and received the whole world and a new pair of skates. Gerda kissed his cheeks and they turned pink again. She kissed his eyes and they sparkled like hers. She kissed his hands and feet and he became strong and well. The Snow Queen might come home now whenever she pleased, for there stood the order for Kai's release, written in letters of shining ice. Hand in hand, Kai and Gerda strolled out of that enormous palace. They talked about Grandmother and about the roses on their roof. Wherever they went, the wind died down and the sun shone out. When they came to the bush that was covered with red berries, the reindeer was waiting to meet them. He had brought along a young reindeer mate who had warm milk for the children to drink and who kissed them on the mouth. Then these reindeer carried Gerda and Kai first to the Finn woman. They warmed themselves in her hot room, and when she had given them directions for their journey home, they rode on to the lap woman. She had made them new clothes and was ready to take them along in her sleigh. Side by side, the reindeer ran with them to the limits of the North Country, where the first green buds were to be seen. Here they said goodbye to the two reindeer and to the lap woman. Farewell, they all said. Now the first little birds began to chirp, and there were green buds all around them in the forest. Through the woods came riding a young girl on a magnificent horse that Gerda recognized, for it had once been harnessed to the golden carriage. The girl wore a bright red cap on her head and a pair of pistols in her belt. She was the little robber girl who had grown tired of staying at home and who was setting out on a journey to the North Country. If she didn't like it there, why, the world was wide and there were many other places where she could go. She recognized Gerda at once and Gerda knew her too. It was a happy meeting. You're a fine one for gadding about she told little Kai. I'd just like to know whether you deserve to have someone running to the end of the earth for your sake. But Gerda patted her cheek and asked her about the prince and princess. They are traveling in foreign lands, the girl told her. And the crow? Oh, the crow is dead, she answered. His tame lady love is now a widow, and she wears a bit of black wool wrapped around her leg. She takes great pity on herself, but that's all stuff and nonsense. Now tell me what has happened to you, and how you caught up with Kai. Gerda and Kai told her their story. Snip, snap, snore, bass, lore, said the robber girl. So everything came out all right. She shook them by the hand and promised that if she ever passed through their town, she would come to see them. And then she rode away. Kai and Gerda held each other by the hand. And as they walked along, they had wonderful spring weather. The land was green and strewn with flowers. Church bells rang, and they saw the high steeples of a big town. It was the one where they used to live. They walked straight to Grandmother's house and up the stairs and into the room, where everything was just as it was when they left it. And the clock said, Tick-tock! And its hands were telling the time. But the moment they came in the door, they noticed one change. They were grown up now. The roses on the roof looked in at the open window, and their two little stools were still out there. Kai and Gerda sat down on them and held each other by the hand. 
Both of them had forgotten the icy, empty splendor of the Snow Queen's palace as completely as if it were some bad dream. Grandmother sat in God's good sunshine, reading to them from her Bible. Except ye become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Kai and Gerda looked into each other's eyes, and at last they understood the meaning of their old hymn. Where roses bloom so sweetly in the vale, there shall you find the Christ child without fail. And they sat there, grown up, but children still, children at heart. And it was summer, warm, glorious summer. The End I love this story so much. Right up to the end, it's filled with gorgeous symbolism and godly triumph. I mean, how many fairy tales do you know that blatantly thin the veil to show what happens in spiritual warfare? Don't wander away from the campfire. We're about to shed some light on the incredible treasure hidden in the conclusion of this story. In the fifth story, things get rough. Right away. The first line of this section plunges us into a dark forest. That's a big flashing warning sign in fairy tale lore if ever there was one. Because this scene begins in darkness and compares Gerda's carriage to a blazing torch that the robbers cannot bear, we are reminded of John 1.5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This verse refers to Jesus' eternal victory over the limited power of the kingdom of darkness. He continues to shine, to be the champion, and the devil and his minions can never hope to overtake him. As joint heirs with Jesus, sons and daughters of God through the spirit of adoption, that authority extends to us. We are licensed to trample serpents and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Luke 10.19, Revelation 12.11 The enemy wants what he can't have, and what he can't have, he tries to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 And that includes us. Like Gerda in her finery, we are adorned with God's glory, which gives us a beauty the enemy covets and will attempt to pervert or extinguish at all costs, because it reminds him of the great I Am, whom he rebelled against. Tempted beyond what they can bear at the sight of the golden carriage, the robbers spring out of hiding. With demonic delight, they set upon Gerda, murdering everyone in her retinue and stealing her horses. Brutally yanking her out of her carriage, their matriarch wickedly contemplates eating her, claiming that she will taste wonderful because she must have been fattened on nuts. This is a relative exaggeration, because we know that Gerda comes from a poor family and has been roughing it in the woods before coming to the castle. She's not much more well-off than the robbers, financially or nutritionally. But she does not have a poverty mindset like they do. She comes from a loving home, and has not had to fight and scheme for everything she has. And it shows. Remember that in Cinderella and Catherine Cracker Nuts, nuts are brain food. They represent wisdom, communion with God, and consumption of His Word for strength. When God's light radiates through you, you are automatically loathed by the world, which hates Jesus and loves darkness, thinking that it hides its iniquities. Like their father, the devil, lovers of darkness are hell-bent on destroying children of light, 
because their radiance reveals the shabbiness of the poor shadows these lost people chase, rather than embracing the way, the truth, and the life. They don't want to be convicted. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 1.7 Like Havilah Cunnington says, Some people will never like you because your spirit irritates their demons. As a wise daughter of God, Gerda's mere presence is an affront to the robbers, and the old woman who wants to eat her, a monstrous fairy tale trope in her own right, has no interest in benefiting from Gerda's life except to consume it. Fortunately, her daughter, Pharaoh though she may be, has slightly more compassion than her mother. Leaping on the old woman's back, she bites her ear and forces her to spare Gerda so that she may become the robber girl's companion. We are told that the girl is intractable and spoiled. She pretty much has the run of the place, because she's raised by selfish, brutal people who only look out for themselves and are entertained by her forthrightness. The good thing that comes out of this arrangement is that the girl has had a chance to develop her own thoughts and opinions that differ slightly from those of her dysfunctional family. Even though she is coarse and rough, there is something about the girl that sets her apart as Gerda is set apart, and that draws her to our heroine in a powerful way. This is the perfect opportunity for Gerda to be a witness by virtue of her warm heart and gentle and quiet spirit. While she and the robber girl ride in the golden carriage, Gerda tells her of her adventures and her quest to save Kai. Clearly, the robber girl has never experienced a healthy relationship before. She clings to Gerda because she's pulled to the light inside of her and is fascinated by the kind of love that could encourage someone to put themselves in harm's way to rescue someone else. She's puzzled, because from where she sits, Kai isn't worth the trouble. Why would anyone risk their life to save someone so terrible? In reality, there is still good in him. It's just obscured by demonic influence and sin. Gerda remembers who he truly is, and she doesn't want to go through life without him. Discomfort and danger are nothing to her in comparison to the hope of finding Kai and bringing him back to life. Doesn't this sound familiar? God knows who we truly are and who he created us to be. He didn't want a life without the people he created to have relationship with him. But we were separated from him and our true selves by sin nature and alliance with the kingdom of darkness. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish in the second death, but have eternal life. John 3.16 For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Hebrews 12.2 Through the agony of this trial, Jesus was sustained by the joy of knowing that he was making a way where there was no way to redeem us from sin and death and welcome us back into abundant life with him. This is the kind of love Gerda has for Kai, and it stands in stark contrast to the perverse abuse and neglect that passes for love in the robber girl's family. At first, she tells Gerda that no one will kill her unless she makes the robber girl angry, which is meant to be a comfort. After getting to know Gerda and beginning to admire her, the robber girl assures her that even if she makes her angry, no one will have the honor of killing her but the girl herself. As horrible as this sounds, it is meant to be an expression of love. 
It comes from the idea that it's better to be dispatched by someone who cares about you and will remember you than by a stranger. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, according to Proverbs 27.6, but this is a bit much. From here, we are taken to the robber's crumbling castle, the walls of which are cracked from top to bottom. The girl quite literally comes from a broken home. Carrion birds, representing death and devourment, fly out of every crevice, and monstrous bulldogs prowl the grounds. They are taught not to bark, meaning that you won't know that one is upon you until it begins tearing you to pieces. A fire burns in the hall with no room for the smoke to escape, making the animalistic den dirty and smelly. The inmates of this insane asylum laugh when someone is being wounded, as in the incident of the girl viciously biting her mother's ear, and the pair regularly torment each other to show affection. The robber girl pulls her old mother's chin whiskers, and the mother returns the favor by repeatedly popping her daughter in the nose before drinking herself into a stupor. They are the foil of Gerda and her grandmother, who are tender and respectful toward each other, just as this castle is a foil to Gerda's garret apartment and glorious garden. She and her family steward everything they have well, turning a tiny apartment into a fruitful, botanical paradise dedicated to godly pursuits. In contrast, the robbers live in an enormous castle that they have allowed to fall into disrepair, a fortress dedicated to cruelty, exploitation, and selfishness. Even the robber girl's pets suffer from her evil upbringing. She holds wild pigeons prisoner among the tame ones she has already broken to her will, and keeps a reindeer, whom she calls Bay, chained up near her bed. Before you get excited about the reindeer's name being Bay, there's something you should know. In Danish, Bay doesn't mean my love or my boo or anything sweet or romantic at all. It's actually the word for excrement. Lovely, right? Anderson does this to show us just how screwed up this girl is. She names her dearest pet after Pooh and tortures him every night by tickling his throat with her knife. In her twisted world, selfishness and abuse are love. The wellspring of her heart has been poisoned, and it overflows into all of her relationships. But for all of her roughness and bravado, she is captivated by Gerda and her story of sacrificial, everlasting love and asks to hear it again, even as she tucks her trusty knife into bed with them. At the sound of Gerda's voice, the flock of tame pigeons falls asleep, but the two wild ones from the forest are wide awake and listening, hanging on every word. Remember that wildness is not a bad thing, as long as it is given the freedom to run in the right direction. The tame pigeons are complacent, representing people like the robbers, who don't care to be wooed by God's love song. They are happy in their limitations, and wouldn't break free even if their prison doors were thrown wide open. But, as Maya Angelou says, the caged bird sings of freedom. The wild pigeons remember who they are, and refuse to give in to complacency like their comrades. Because their attitude does not conform to that of the majority, they are punished for their natural desire for freedom by being locked up in a cage. Even though the robber girl does this to them, she too is a wild thing trapped in a cage. She is brave and strong and has the potential to be a powerful influence for good. But she is locked in the only life she's ever known, one of lies, 
theft, malicious threats, and selfish manipulation. If she could break free from her flock and this rundown castle, who knows what kind of woman she could become. This isn't wanting to run away and join the circus. This is a hunger for the abundant life God wants to give us, if we will give him our all. Comforted by the thoughts of a noble, adventuresome love, the robber girl falls asleep with Gerda's neck in one arm and her knife cradled in the other hand. Gerda lies awake, terrified, wondering if she will ever get out of this alive. Just then, the wild pigeons whisper to Gerda that they saw Kai riding with the Snow Queen. The sleigh flew over the pigeon's nest, and these two were the only ones to survive the icy breath of the Snow Queen as she blew on their home. I hate animal death. Depending on your viewpoint, the Snow Queen, representing pure logic devoid of emotion, killing the birds, is yet another example of cerebral people not appreciating art and emotion. It's hard not to be reminded of the mole in Thumbelina and his disdain for the swallow and the artistic temperament both the bird and Thumbelina possess. At the same time, however, the Snow Queen is created to be what she is and nothing more. She cannot grow and change and bend for love because it would prevent her from carrying out her purpose as a marshaller of the forces of winter, which must be allowed its time on earth. The captive pigeons explain that the Snow Queen must have traveled to Lapland, the reindeer's native country. Wistfully, he tells Gerda of the wide-open spaces of ice and snow where he used to run and play. He explains that while Lapland is the location of the Queen's summer tent, her stronghold is located on the island of Spitsbergen, near the North Pole. The name Spitsbergen is full of symbolism and foreshadowing. In German, Spitz means pointed or sharp, something that can stab and wound you. While this does refer to the sting of the cold, mountainous landscape on Gerda's bare feet later in the story, it also harkens back to the sharp shards of the devil's mirror lodged in Kai's eye and heart. Bergen has multiple meanings, but the primary one is to rescue, save, recover, salvage. As his Eitzur Konegdo, Gerda is coming to rescue Kai from the sharp objects poisoning his eyes, mind, and heart. She means to restore him to his rightful self and help him recover what the enemy has taken from him. Bergen also means to hide, hold, or shelter. The Snow Queen has hidden Kai away from the world. He is alone with time to think and sort out his life, if he will take the opportunity. But he does not. Instead, he continues to idolize the Snow Queen and her frigid palace with its mirror of reason. Through her icy kisses, the Snow Queen holds him in a near state of cryogenic preservation. Remember that as a being of pure logic, the Snow Queen is not evil but she is incapable of healing a wounded heart because she is not made to understand such things. All she can do is numb the heart with facts and order. Logic without love can save no one, and it is not meant to be worshipped above the one who created it. As long as Kai continues to unite himself to cold reasoning, he loses the best parts of himself as a son of God, a relational human being. Eager to reach Kai before it is too late, Gerda tells the robber girl what she has learned from the animals. In a bold act of selflessness, the robber girl frees the reindeer and arranges for Gerda to escape with him to Lapland, 
clad in her royal boots and the old woman's large, warm mittens. I love the exchange of the mittens and the muff. It symbolizes Gerda gaining the roughness and courage she will need to face the terrors of the North, and the robber girl beginning to treasure the soft things in her heart that she has never given voice to because they are vulnerable. This beautiful transaction is further sealed when the robber girl gives Gerda a pillow to sit on and ties her securely to the reindeer so that she won't fall off as they bound over the snow. I don't do things halfway, she says. Both a gentle heart of flesh, the pillow, and determined strength, the rope, are needed in Gerda for her to complete her mission. The same can be said for all of us. Like Jesus, we must be both bold as a lion and gentle as a lamb, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Proverbs 28.1, Matthew 10.16 It's the only way to survive and succeed in the spiritual war zone we're living in. While the robber girl keeps the dogs at bay, Gerda and the reindeer tear across the forest toward the blazing northern lights and the country of Lapland. Little does the robber girl understand that by helping Gerda take the final steps of her adventure, she has taken the first steps of her own. Ecstatic to be free, the reindeer dashes through the forest. He and Gerda make two stops, the number of judgment, for rest, confirmation, and direction. There are only two stops, because Gerda is already wise and discerning. Like other righteous characters before her, she does not need a third event to occur before she breaks the pattern and saves the day. The Lap Woman confirms that Gerda and the reindeer are going the right way, and must continue traveling deep into the Finnmark, where the Snow Queen is taking a country vacation. She then directs them to their next stop, and furnishes them with the resources they'll need to get there including food, drink, and a message to her neighbor, the Finn woman, written on a dried codfish. Like the detour with the crows, prince, and princess, this stop is more about restoring body and soul than receiving mind-blowing revelations. But it does fortify Gerda and her companion so that they are able to keep going on their journey. They reach the house of the Finn woman, the inside of which she keeps as hot as a sauna. For Gerda's sake, this is a good thing. She's so cold that the reindeer has to do all the talking, which suits him just fine. The old woman is practically walking around naked because of the heat, but it has nothing to do with being lewd or lascivious. Being uncovered like this means that she is open and truthful. She shares what she knows and conceals only what is most precious and private, as we see once she and the reindeer begin to discuss Gerda. She is wise and prudent, helping Gerda off with her shoes and mittens to acclimate her to the warmth, icing the reindeer's head, and memorizing her friend's message before throwing the dried codfish into some soup for their dinner. My family will never let me hear the end of it if I didn't tell you that this nasty meal is that dreaded traditional Scandinavian dish known as lutefisk. As delightfully described by smithsonianmag.org, Lutefisk begins as codfish, which is dried to the point that it attains the feel of leather and the firmness of corrugated cardboard. Water alone can't reconstitute the fish, so it's soaked in lye. Yes, lye. The industrial chemical used to unclog drains and dispose of murder victims. The one that explodes when it comes in contact with aluminum. Basically, if you want to prove that you're a big, tough Viking, 
This is the meal for you. It used to be a necessary evil back when preserving food to last all winter was more essential. Now, it's a beloved ethnic joke. The meal we love to hate that binds we of Scandinavian heritage together. For Gerda, this is absolutely a meal of survival, like the bread and meat the ravens brought Elijah as he awaited the Lord's instructions in the wilderness. Remember that carrion birds like ravens were considered unclean because they feasted on the dead. Like Elijah, Gerda is getting the nourishment she needs from what would normally be considered an unsavory source before facing one of the greatest spiritual battles on her journey. She can withstand the poison in the lie because she is strong, a fact that is reiterated in the secret conversation between the Finn woman and the reindeer. When the reindeer asks the wise woman if she can give Gerda a drink to make her as strong as twelve men, she all but laughs in his face. No power that she could give could be as great as that which Gerda already has. She understands that Gerda is a mighty woman of valor, divinely called and granted authority to carry out her mission. Men and beasts are compelled to serve her because of the great godly strength and innocence in her heart. Like Ruth, she is better to the one she loves than seven sons, or in this case, twelve strong men. Ruth 4.15 The idol of cold logic cannot be defeated by brute force. Love, specifically God's love, is the only power that can cause it to crumble. Gerda's loyalty, devotion, perseverance, and sacrificial love are her mighty weapons of warfare which are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 The thin woman wisely admonishes the reindeer that they must not reveal Gerda's power to her, but allow her to go on the best way she knows how. This is because Gerda may make an idol of her power, or second-guess it, fearing that she must become something else to save Kai, and that her heart alone is not enough. Instead, the thin woman conceals this precious knowledge from our heroine, freeing her to keep trusting in God alone to see her through the obstacles in her path. Before they leave, the Finn woman instructs the reindeer to take Gerda to the Snow Queen's garden, which is eight miles from her house, drop Gerda off by the red berry bush just outside it, and quickly return. Eight is the number of circumcision, reiterating that Gerda has dedicated herself completely to her rescue mission. She has set her face like flint against the danger determined to overcome everything in her path and save Kai. The red berry bush is the last sign of life before the deathly cold garden of the Snow Queen's winter getaway. It reminds Gerda of the garden she has left behind and the love that grew there, the thought of which strengthens her resolve to return to it with Kai. On the way to the Snow Queen's garden, Gerda realizes with dismay that she has left her boots and mittens at the Finn woman's house. Naked her feet entered this adventure, and naked will they see it through to the end. She is vulnerable and exposed, like the little mermaid, forced to endure the knife-like pain of the cold on her hands and feet in the name of love. The Christian walk is not an easy thing. Keeping your heart alive leaves you vulnerable and exposed, and often means you are drained of the warmth and life inside of you as you pour it out for others. The only way to overcome this is deep communion with God, refreshing the wellspring of your heart with His Word, 
and sharing its innermost joys and sorrows with the one who treasures you most. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46.1 He calls you and me Eitzer, strong rescuer and warrior, because we reflect this aspect of him. And when we find ourselves unable to overtake the enemy, he's the ultimate Eitzer we call on for salvation. After the reindeer tenderly takes his leave of Gerda, she finds herself embroiled in one of the most obvious fairy tale illustrations of spiritual warfare you will ever encounter. A belligerent army of large, living snowflakes, resembling wicked-looking porcupines, snakes, and bears, forms rank in front of her, menacingly blocking her path. With defiant joy, Gerda begins to pray the Lord's Prayer, and her words change the atmosphere around her. Activated by her prayer, a legion of angels surrounds her and protects her, defeating the demonic creatures. This is Psalm 91 in action. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, says, Because she loves me, I will rescue her. I will protect her because she acknowledges my name. She will call upon me and I will answer her. I will be with her in trouble. I will deliver her and honor her. Psalm 91, 14-15 Earlier, in verses 11-12, through 12, the psalmist states that God will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that your foot does not strike against a stone. Because Gerda loves the Lord, when she calls on Him for aid, He comes running. His angel armies protect her and war for her against the forces of evil hell-bent on deterring her from saving Kai. Once the enemy has been vanquished, the angels warm her hands and feet as she triumphantly marches up to the Snow Queen's palace. Jesus, too, was ministered to by angels after overcoming the devil and his temptations in the wilderness. This contact with the heavenly realm reminds its recipient that there is a God and a destiny greater than the trials and temptations of the world and the kingdom of darkness. It spurs that person on to reach the next step in their journey both in the physical and spiritual realms. The victory has already been won. Now, we have to walk in it. Armed with this knowledge, Gerda has no fear as she approaches the Snow Queen's palace. Why am I so eager to call the Snowflake army demonic, but reluctant to call the Snow Queen evil? Notice that the Snow Queen did not send this army out to attack Gerda. It formed in the air of its own accord. She isn't even holding Kai prisoner. She tells him that he is free to leave if he can puzzle out eternity and goes about her business. Anything and anyone can become an idol based on how it is perceived. The demonic will attach itself to even the most innocuous things, using them to keep someone ensnared and draw them further away from God. Because of the wounds in Kai's eye and heart, he worships only logic and reason which in his mind are embodied by the Snow Queen. Logic itself is not wrong, but remember that it is love that makes revelation worthwhile. Love reveals the implications of logic, giving them meaning and significance. As long as Kai elevates the Snow Queen and her realm above all else, including relationship with God, true wisdom, love, and the beauty of the human heart will be lost to him. He is selling his godly identity to a god of his own making, and it will only lead to his death. The prince of the power of the air capitalizes on this and strives to keep Kai in bondage. 
but this pesky girl keeps ruining his plans. Trying to trick Gerda into falling into despair and abandoning her quest has not stopped her from coming to free her friend. Deliverance is never easy, and staying in prayer is the most important thing you can do, even as you are approaching victory. Once again, Gerda is assaulted by the air, this time by the knife-edged wind that serves as the palace gate. As soon as Gerda begins to pray again, God causes the wind to be lulled to rest, allowing Gerda to pass through. This reminds me of Jesus commanding the storm, Peace, be still. Do you know when this incident occurred? Right before the gathering deliverance. Natural forces, the wind and the waves, were supernaturally disturbed to try to deter Jesus from reaching the other side of the sea and freeing the man Satan held prisoner through a legion of demons. The enemy didn't want Jesus to reach the other side. If he did and set the madman free, more converts would fly out of their satanic prisons and fall on their knees before God, joining his kingdom and causing devastation to the enemy. But the devil forgot that, as the living word of God, Jesus is the one who called the wind and the waves to their places at creation. That authority hadn't changed just because Jesus was in human form. Watching Jesus calm the storm at sea also built the faith of the disciples. If Jesus holds power over uncontrollable natural forces, what's to stop him from having power over the demonic, which, to their eyes, also remained unseen? Because the Lord protects Gerda from natural and supernatural forces as she nears the palace, there is no doubt in her mind that when she finds Kai, she will be equipped to deliver him. And that's exactly what happens. When she finds him on the floor puzzling out eternity, Gerda greets him and throws her arms around him, shedding hot tears of relief and joy. Her tears go straight to his heart, melting the lump of ice and burning away the splinter of glass in it. At last, he looks at Gerda with recognition. She sings their praise song about the roses over him, and his heart at last becomes one of flesh as he cries out of conviction and happiness. His free-flowing tears wash the splinter of glass out of his eye, freeing him from demonic oppression. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water flowing from the hearts of those who believe in him. John 7.38 Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus and those who love him are anointed to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Gerda walks into the palace with full authority to heal Kai and deliver him from the prison he's been living in. Her restorative tears are an expression of the Holy Spirit's power within her. David emphasizes the importance of praise and worship as a form of warfare throughout the Psalms because they change the atmosphere in the natural and supernatural realms, making way for God's glory and power to shine forth and causing the enemy to flee. Gerda singing about Jesus and the strength of her childlike faith and innocence is enough to call Kai out of darkness and back into the light of the one who loves him most. The friend's contagious joy even causes the glass puzzle Kai has been working on to dance until it spells out eternity, allowing Kai to leave the frozen palace. Because of Gerda's ministrations, the light of eternity has been rekindled in Kai's heart. He can dream and hope and love. The Snow Queen was right. The world is his now. No longer is he a hardened prisoner chained to his idols. 
Kai has been restored to his rightful place as a son of God, a human man called to partner with God and his Eitzor Konegdo to reign over the earth now and forever. Genesis 1.28, 2 Timothy 2.11 and 12. The new skates the Snow Queen promises Kai are metaphorical. Remember that Anderson constantly uses feet and shoes to examine the hearts of his characters and the way they walk through life. Skates allow you to swiftly cover perilous territory and fly across obstacles. They also give you stability while you move and protect your feet so that the icy cold does not leach the warmth from your body. Because Kai's heart has been reactivated, he can rise above his former tendency to bury himself in cold logic and knowledge alone. He will now use his heart, through which the Holy Spirit teaches us, to navigate through knowledge and wisdom. Gerda kisses him to bring him warmth, especially on his hands and feet, as the angels did for her. This also means that their relationship is restored, because kisses represent covenant. There are no traces of anger or bitterness between them. As they head for home, they talk about all of the wonderful things to look forward to there, just as we encourage each other to look forward to heaven and the restored earth when Jesus will make all things new. They retrace the steps of Gerda's journey and are aided and encouraged by everyone who initially helps her. They even catch up with the robber girl, and Gerda gets to have the blessing of seeing the fruit of her harvest. The girl has broken ties with her destructive family and made friends with the prince and princess, who helped Gerda heal after her encounter with the Lady of Summer. Unfortunately, she learns that her friend, the crow, has died. But she is ecstatic to see that the robber girl's heart has changed and that she now has healthy friendships and seeks adventure instead of taking advantage of others. By the way, did you catch that she is wearing a red cap? She's following the passion crafted into her heart and becoming more of who she is made to be in this next phase of her life. Don't be discouraged if there's someone who's been on your prayer list for a while and you feel like you haven't been able to sow enough seeds in their hearts to inspire them to give their lives to God. The simplest encounter can make all the difference in the world. Even though Gerda only spends one night talking to the robber girl, her testimony is enough to convince her to meet the wise prince and princess, whose good influence inspires her to leave her old life behind. That's pretty powerful. Where one sows, another reaps, and everyone shares in the harvest. John 4, 36-38 At last, Kai and Gerda reach their home and are reunited with Gerda's grandmother, who begins reading scripture to them as they take their places on their stools beneath the roses. They realize that they are both grown up now, but children at heart, loving the Lord and each other with everything in them. Because of this, they will enter into the kingdom of heaven with full confidence. And as long as we do, so shall we. It is summer, warm, glorious summer, as our third season draws to a close. While you're waiting for season four, take some time to look and listen for the specific ways God uses to draw you close to Him. Keeping your heart alive, like Gerda, is crucial to your relationship with Him and the great purpose He has for your life. We have each been given a unique skill set by God to reach the people in our immediate spheres and beyond. It is woven into the foundation of the woman God calls you to be. Sharpen your sword, Eitzer Konegdo, 
and use the tools you have to set captives free and speak God's kingdom into this earth. Thanks for stopping by. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to see what else is going on in the fairy tale forest or support the show, check out the Lost in the Woods Buy Me a Coffee page. I'm Autumn Woods, and I can't wait to see you on the path next time you get Lost in the Woods.